When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Everyone looks so festive and springy today. Nate Bauer, Thomas Frank Carr, BWI Daily Edition. It's a Thursday. It's the Mailbag Show. So welcome to spring, Nate, and welcome to the Mailbag Show. How are you feeling today? I I took a shower. I threw on a collared shirt. I love shaved. it. Shaved. I, I love I just, it. I wanted, to, I wanted to be at my best for you today. I'll always give positive reinforcement to colored shirts on the show. You know, okay. this the, the point of being in this profession is so you don't have to wear a suit. I've heard that from so many people sure. that uh, that I'm not I'm, I'm not going to fight it. But anytime somebody else puts a, a shirt that has any sort of collar on it, I am going to stand up and applaud because positive reinforcement is the way to go. So let's let's think about how far I've come. We We went from hoodies and t-shirts and backwards caps yep. to to this uh, I, I don't know i feel like maybe i could get a real job soon listen this is this this show is lead by example that's all it is it's lead by example and and that's the leadership we're looking for from football teams that's the leadership we're looking for in life so you're right you know maybe, maybe one day for a big event we'll have sport coats on who knows can we can we dive into the the uh, the trite example of I've I've always been lead by example, but I I want to be more vocal about it this yep. year. Yep, <laughs> that was actually a conversation I had with somebody recently. Probably me. <laughs> oh man! So what's going on this week? So let's get into some stuff. What's going on this week uh, with Penn State sports that you've been following? Yeah. So uh, two two things kind of on my radar, and then. One thing I think on your radar, um, certainly uh, people are starting to get here. Okay, so mm-hmm. that's the that's the first thing um, I reported yesterday that Hunter Norzad, the the graduate transfer f- uh, offensive lineman from Cornell, is set to arrive on Sunday. He's actually um, he, he's getting the 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 timelines don't work right so the calendar for cornell for him to wrap up his classes and the exams runs until next saturday like graduation mm-hmm. at cornell is next saturday uh he's actually finishing ahead of time so that he can be here for the start of penn state's first summer session which starts on monday of this coming week so y- y- you know tr- this this constant story of trying to work these things out right um getting getting guys wherever they're currently at done with whatever needs to be done whether or not that's on the right timeline for them kind of or not right (laughs) right like that it's just it's what needs to be done for them to be able to enroll and start their classes at penn state so uh he's he's doing that drew shelton is the other one who i reported today uh, so two offensive linemen uh, are getting to Penn State, and we'll, we'll get here on Sunday. Uh, and then I expect a few more, honestly. Uh, it, it, it hasn't been a steady stream of confirmations, I should say. 
But um, yeah, you know, Penn, Penn State, it's it's one of those things where at this point, um, y- you know, we're used to a traditional calendar where, yeah, you have what, five, six, seven guys come in in January and then the entire boatload, the rest of the boatload for the class comes in in June, late yeah. June for summer session two. Yep. That's not the case anymore. They're trying to get as many guys here as possible uh, for natural reasons, right? I mean, you yeah. just want to get them started on the nutrition and, uh, you know, workouts, all, all of that stuff, and and academically as fast as you possibly can. So I would expect another handful of guys even beyond those two to, to arrive at Penn State this weekend. So, so of course, that's the first thing. BlueWhiteIllustrated.com. Nate will have that for you, keeping track of all that stuff to know when, and most importantly, I think, who shows up. In these uh, in this early semester, early spring, summer semester, um, and it's good. I think for Penn State fans, they probably feel better about the fact that uh, one of the offensive linemen that needs to show up is now on campus. Um, so that that's a big that's a big deal too. Will, Not only that will be give it give it four more days, four more days. Four more days. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, he's going to be on campus this week. So uh, or in a calendar week. So that's that's a big deal that another offensive lineman because that was something that coming out of spring ball. I know Dave was was focusing a lot of the offensive line and the interior didn't look great. And it's like, well, you know, three or four of those guys are not projected to be on the field next year. So you never never say never injuries happen, things like that. But getting all the parts and pieces up front, having one show up is is pretty big. Uh, So go ahead. Sorry, I don't. I don't mean to belabor this point, but just they weren't able to practice normally mm-hmm. in the spring, right? So, so just simply having the bodies, whether whether or not they're ready to start or ready to play on September one, is I think more beside the point than simply having a scout team, right? <laughs> like like ha- having the necessary ingredients to to be able to not amend classes. So this is this is something that we knew was coming and that James Franklin had talked about throughout the spring, but yeah, two two early injections right in May to to kind of get that ball rolling. Underrated too is Drew Shelton. I don't expect him to do much this year. I wouldn't expect to see him on the field at all. I think he needs a full redshirt season. But, you know, any any extra day you can get an offensive lineman on campus is one where he's one step closer to participating at some point. More free food. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Uh, what else is going on? Basketball is front of mind, I think, from some things you yeah. were telling me, right? Well, just uh, it's just kind of a small note, but a big note, which is disappointing news for Penn State basketball that Davion Bradford, the transfer from Kansas State, he's a big man. He's seven feet. Uh, he's he's thin, but he's, you know, seven feet is seven feet. And yeah. Penn State desperately needs a, a forward center. Um, chose to go to Wake Forest on Wednesday night. He made his decision. So, uh, you know, kind of a, a, a step back, I guess I would say, for, for Penn State basketball as they just continue. Like everything else is in place. All the other all the other pieces right. are there for the puzzle for for what Micah Shrewsbury wants to do next season. But, you know, they just they need some size because at this point, you know, you're looking at six, seven on the roster, six, eight as, yeah. as kind of being the biggest body and the, the tallest guys that you have. He he actually did an interview, a, a big, long, good interview with The Athletic on Wednesday that was published on Wednesday, um, you know, that really said 
they were prepared for that, right? Like they, they, they are prepared. For, they, they would like to get this, but even if they don't, he was confident and had confidence that they can play bigger based on, uh, you know, I hate to use these cliches, but kind of the, the blue collar, hard work, tough defense, all of the things that they did last year with an undersized guy really in, in John Hera, right? Yeah. I mean, John Hera is six, seven, or excuse me, six, nine. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so, so I think that is one or two inches going to make the biggest difference in the world? No, probably not. But you just, you just need you that skill find, set. You need that you gotta, skill set. And you got, you got to find 10 to 15 minutes. Yeah. Right. Like so, somewhere, somewhere, right. It doesn't matter where, but you got to find 10 to 15 minutes of, of a guy who can play and can give you something, give you some rebounds, give you a couple of buckets easy uh, in the paint. So, yeah, still working on it, but you know, I, I think certainly they're they're going to continue to pursue that through the transfer portal. Uh, and I, I said this to a couple of people, but I'll say it here: John Hara at Eagles minicamp, if he sticks with the team, yep, th- there are no six nine tight ends, there are no six eight tight ends in the NFL. Yeah, there are six eight offensive linemen, and if he could commit to getting a little bit bigger, he's a naturally strong dude. Now there's a, there's a huge difference between natural strength and offensive tackle strength but you want you want a guy with quick feet you want a guy who knows how to use his feet i think john Hara as a tackle i i've been i was interested in john Hara as a tackle since he was a freshman at penn state i've been looking at him like dude just like pack on some lbs and you would be a left tackle uh but we'll see we'll see what happens i i think that's a fun one if anything happens with him in the nfl I mean, there was a there was a tweet last week that that suggested fairly strongly that James Franklin thought the same way, <laughs> right? I mean, yeah. not necessarily offensive line, but hey, he he could have played football, and yeah. Penn State would have taken him to play football, I believe. So, I mean, he was a guy who who was going to play football at Army before he he backed yeah. out of that commitment. And, and if you're a tight end State. at Army, you're basically a tackle anyway. So, I you know, not a big leap there. Uh, but the transition of fo- can be made. Speaking of football, there was a commit yesterday. This is obviously being recorded on Thursday uh, yep. for our Thursday mailbag show. But uh, Johnny Shakir committed to the Nittany Lions, the first receiver on the board for Penn State in the class of 2023. So a uh, big moment there. We're going to be talking about it and wrapping up, uh, you know, his he's also the 12th player in the class. So we'll be taking a look at the halfway point of the Penn State class of 2023 tomorrow on the BWI Daily Edition with Ryan Snyder, rounding out the week, getting the information, and kind of like Johnny Shakir, how he fits in the class, and then looking at the class as a whole and doing just a little bit of a look forward, but for the most part, a review to look at the class and see where the holes are. Uh, so that's coming up can, tomorrow on the Daily. Can we can we get the 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 Cliff's note? Like, well, maybe not the Cliff's notes, but like a sneak preview, a trailer. What sure. do you what do you like? Do you like him? Is he good? So the uh, the film room is up at bluewhiteillustrated.com. A great reason to sign up for just $1 and get 12 months of access because we've now made uh, T. Frank's film room premium. So it's not going to be here on the YouTube channel anymore. It's going to be at bluewhiteillustrated.com. So you sign up for a dollar, you get 12 months of access, and you get to go behind the star rating, get some context on who the player is and how their game works on the field. And Johnny Shakir, uh, two things. One... He's an annoying prospect because there's nothing wrong with him. Like, he's he's a B-plus at everything. 
He's he's a he's a good sized player, six foot one seventy five, but he's not the biggest guy in the world. Uh, he's fast, and he's I would say his outstanding trait is that he has great agility and acceleration. So he's very hard to tackle, uh, and he can he can weave his way through traffic. But the biggest thing is he is nasty. He does not like to be tackled. So if you want to get in the inside information about all that stuff and, and what kind of sets him apart and where he can go and his versatility, where he could fit at Penn State that's over in T. Frank's film room. But yeah, agility, acceleration, and he'll run just he'll run through dudes at 175. So I'll be curious to see what all that translates to at the next level. Yeah, what what will he do at 200? Can he get to 200 pounds? That's so, That's the question. That's Maybe. that's my open question. And this is where, you know, as much as you can you can feel confident about things and you can dive into things and you can see this is a trait that he has. Does that strength that he plays with, does his ability to elude tackles, does that translate to the next level when everyone's bigger, faster, and stronger? Uh, and maybe not than him, but bigger, faster, and stronger than the competition he's playing right now. Because he's not yep. going to be breaking arm tackles from 175-pound defensive backs. They're going to be 190. You know, they're going to yep. be linebackers that are 230 instead of 155. So that's the question. Uh, yep. The natural ability is there and the tenacity. And I think the body intelligence is there. So as long as the, the leg drive continues, yeah, you know, I, I think it can translate. But you just never know. Yeah, that's that's what makes a guy who's a four star that's not currently ranked in the on 300, but is a four star for on three. I think that's what makes up that kind of, yes, he's good, but there are no uh, massively defining features in his game from a physical standpoint that make him stand out. That would make him a highly ranked player of he's not six two and doing that. He's not right. uh, he's not a transformative speed player, but he's fast. So, like I said, annoying to really evaluate and get into the shades of gray with a guy who you have no problem with. There's nothing wrong. There's nothing like even from a technical uh, standpoint, like he's good at everything. Yeah. But anyway, Can't catch the ball, you know, that's yeah, <laughs> seems to be a, a critical ingredient that gets well, overlooked sometimes. Right. It's yeah. Guys that have all the tools otherwise, but don't catch it. Right. I mean, that's fine consistency there can he and, can he and do to that? see that to see that you got to go to blueoidillustrated.com and pay that one oh, man. if you're not so fine yeah you let's insist. get to yes i i do insist because it's first off it's worth it it's definitely worth it uh but we'll be doing other things here at uh the Blue White Illustrated YouTube channel. Of course, we'll always be taking your questions here on the uh, mailbag edition. So just because we're doing one thing somewhere else doesn't mean there isn't value here. Uh, make sure you like the video as well, especially if you're somebody who is getting your questions answered on the video. Hopefully you're a subscriber and you're following along at Blue White Illustrated here on YouTube. Our first question, Nate, are you ready to get into this? Can, can we just, can we just um, add a a preface here that I never know what the questions are before. <laughs> That's a good point. So well, the answer is the answer is yes, but with a question. Okay. Um, and I would like to also add the preface that uh, you are you have the capability of seeing all the questions over at the message board because that's the number one way to go uh, ask a question here on the mailbag show is to rep reply to the BWI mailbag thread with uh, with your question if you're a premium content subscriber. It's hard to miss. I even put an exclamation point in it. Yeah, so. but 
that would ruin the fun. <laughs> You're right. Bit. Part part of part of the fun is you being caught off guard by everything. Um, <laughs> Lamp Lamgol. I I I'm sorry to everyone who's got a a a screen name that I butcher, but I read these and they sound like hieroglyphs in my head. So I Lamgol. Tyrese Mills arrives on campus in three days. Do you see him getting significant number of snaps at the striker Sam uh, this season? If uh, the presumed starter Sutherland struggles early on, correct me if I'm wrong, but uh, Mills sees himself as uh, he was recruited as a Sam, not a safety by the PSU staff. Uh, I There's a couple of assumptions in there that I, I don't know that are fact. Uh, but mm-hmm. yes, to answer the base question, he has the physicality to play in underneath coverage and be a factor around the line of scrimmage. That's how he was used at Lackawanna. And I think as long as he has the physicality to play that close to the line of scrimmage, as in he's up to around 205, 210 pounds, I think that that's absolutely something he can do, Nate. Yeah, I uh, just for what it's worth, I had an interview with his coach right around the time, right? So Mark Duda, right around the time that he committed to Penn State last summer, I believe. And, you know, Duda was kind of under the the impression or or suggested to me, I should say, that he was ready to play now, right? Like he's right. he's not, he's not a, a project. He doesn't need a year before he can really get to that point. So just, you know, it's it's difficult to make assumptions, but just seeing the timeline of Brisker and yeah. then Tig and now uh, Mills coming in to Penn State, you, you would think that there is a possible role for him kind of right off the bat. I mean, he, he just it all, makes, all of those st- stars seem to align. Yep, it, it makes too much sense. But I there's always the reservation of he's going to be playing linebacker. You know, in this yep. in this scenario, he's playing in underneath coverage. And that's something, I, again, I'm going to say, that's something he did at Lackawanna. So this is not going to be anything new to him. But playing that close to the line of scrimmage when he was primarily a safety. He was playing slot coverage. He was playing free safety. He was used kind of how Penn State uses their safeties proper right now with Manny Diaz. So I've just, it's an open-ended question of, I've seen the physicality to play at the community college level at Lackawanna, but is there another gear that he needs to get to? Does he have that? I see it on the film, but just kind of like talking about a Johnny Shakir, does it translate? There's always that we're, we're talking about probabilities here. And I think the answer is yes, but then is there a bit of a, a stumbling block at any point in that area? Because that's going to be the question. There are other options as well behind Jonathan Sutherland. Yeah, and I, I mean, I do think that the, and this tends to happen, right, with fans who who see something and a reputation grows, and so there. I mean, I I do think that there's an assumption being made here that John Sutherland isn't going to fit, right? Right, that like he's it's not, already he's a failure. Well. Right, he's he's already failed before he's made this transition, and yeah. and you know, I, I just look, I've been doing this for a while, and for whatever that's worth, but. James Franklin's assertions more often than not tend to be rooted in reality. Okay. And, and so it's, it's not, it's not just like saying good things about John Sutherland were for uh, motivational purposes this spring, right? Yeah. Like they, they felt as though he had acclimated himself well to that transition. And I mean, certainly there's always going to be room to grow, but, uh, you know, I, I 
I would very much anticipate John Sutherland being a consistent present for Penn yeah. State's defense through the course of the season. Like getting benched doesn't it, seem likely to me. There, there's a certain, I'd say, large percentage of the Penn State fan base, especially the ones we interact with, that are looking for logical conclusions out of the idea of Jonathan Sutherland being a starter. They're trying to find logical pathways around what they perceive as a roadblock on on the depth chart. And the fact of what you just said about Jonathan Sutherland and the vociferousness of James Franklin in praise of him and the natural fit of him in underneath coverage and all those things that we've heard, you've got to come to some sort of... There's got to be some it's, sort of like you've got you've got to come to terms with the fact that Jonathan Sutherland is playing Sam linebacker. Just be okay with it. It's the quarterback argument yeah. just displaced a little bit, right? I mean, there's just there there tend to be um, a, a few guys every year, and and especially from older players, the the guys who have more experience, and so there is a deeper memory bank from for for fans to draw from of the snafus right like the things that went wrong and so the this this the breadth of their experience and the time that they've had on the field allows them to have had more mistakes naturally yeah. than other players and so that's like i get it the, the psychology behind it isn't difficult to discern it's just hey on the on the flip side of that they penn state the coaching staff sees that experience as being valuable. Yeah. Right. They, they see that as being, um, a, a, an asset, not a detriment to possible future success. So here, here's the other part of it. And then I want to move on to Losi's mustache, uh, because always just want to, I just want to say Losi's mustache more than once in the show. <laughs> um, the difference between Brandon Smith two years ago, playing the Sam and Jonathan Sutherland playing the Sam What's the difference there of uh, in the in the end, the output, the final product? Because Brandon Smith played that position and played it well for a guy that's six foot four, six foot three, 240 pounds, which is to say that he's not a he's not a safety. So in those coverages, in those zone coverages, when you're guarding the, the long side of the field and you have responsibility sometimes to the boundary and somebody completes a ball over your head. That's, you know, you know, if we're talking in PFF terms, that's your fault. Jonathan Sutherland's not getting those footballs either. So, so you know, they're going to use the players differently than with Brent Pry and, and all those things. But in the end, what is the difference in the output between a linebacker that is good enough to play in space but is not a safety and a safety that is good enough to play linebacker but isn't a linebacker? This is the we're having a philosophical conversation about the usage of body type and skill kind of like six of one half dozen of another, but you might be at like five and, and a bite out of one of the apples here rather than you have a full six. That really went off the rails. Accentuate the strengths, hide the weaknesses. Yes. And for Sutherland now I'll say I'm here. I am going on again, but like I will, I'll say the last part is I'm, I'm not sold on Jonathan Sutherland playing above average football at that position either. And that is, to my evaluation of him is he's a he's an average football player but average in that position can be valuable not giving up big plays not being the reason for huge mistakes things like that that can be a value we'll see how it plays out 
We'll see how all of it plays out. I'm not saying that he's going to be great or that this is a the best idea. I'm saying that it is an idea that is not so crazy that it should be so outright rejected by fans the way it has been. Now let's get to this, and I'll I'll be upfront with you, Nate. This was a long question that I did not read out loud at any point before right now. In fact, I didn't even go. read it in my head. So here we go. And this one's for you. Nate, I believe Franklin is saying all the right things about the portal and NIL right now. I feel like a large portion of our fan base wants to hear stuff like that because they haven't accepted the reality that Joe Puss style of college football and the way teams, coaches, and players handled their business was murdered in cold blood by the transfer portal and NIL. This is this is very colorful. I'm enjoying reading mm -hmm. this. Do you think Penn State can be as successful as the other elite teams in college football without getting their hands a little dirty, taking players whose talents may overlook their character flaws or taking some risks in the portal? You did a you did an article, by the way, on this particular topic of how Penn State has used the portal. So yeah. what did you find? Uh, yeah, so... I'm taking a broader look at, at the portal, right. And how, and what Penn state's done, what everybody else is doing in the big 10 uh, wins and losses, that kind of stuff. Um, so uh, that question itself is very broad, but what is clear is that teams program, it's not just Penn state, Michigan got two players in the portal. Ohio state got three. Iowa got one or none, actually. Um, the, the traditionally more successful programs are not seeking out a ton of influx through the portal. They're not looking for volume. They are not looking for volume. They are being highly selective and trying to fill immediate needs right, right with guys who are ready to play. Um, that is not the case in what you're, and, and this all makes sense, right? Like nothing about this is, um, you know, really, uh, it, it's all, it's all common sense kind of Yeah. teams, teams that have struggled one have massive exoduses of players, but they're also having to bring in massive, in, right? So like, yep. um, Rutgers brought in a ton of kids, yep. right? Like it, the, and, and by the way, so, so one of the things I noticed, and I asked this about a, a, a Rutgers beat writer last year, was a lot of guys that went to other schools that were from New Jersey that did not fit at, say, Michigan or some other schools. Yep. So there is a bit of the what we're talking about here is like, if you couldn't make it at a different school, does Penn State want you? Are you going to be a tangible, immediate upgrade versus a school, as you're pointing out, Rutgers, that it's your home state. You should have chosen this place in the first place, and you're back. Yep. Yeah, I, look, having having uh, a prior relationship, James Franklin has already explained, is, is important to them. Yeah. But I do think it, it appears to me they are looking more for players who have succeeded and are looking for a final shot on a bigger stage, right? Like just by and large, that that are, those are the types of players that Penn State is targeting. Uh, and, and meanwhile, the opposite side of it is th the good teams are able to shed uh, 
dead weight is what I want to say, but that's not a polite or delicate way to right. say it. So I right. let me retract that, but you get what I'm you get what I'm saying, right? Yeah. Guys, yeah. guys who aren't able to contribute at the level that Penn Recruiting State needs misses. or wants. Correct. Right. Correct. Um, and so yeah, I mean, in terms of in terms of like getting because the original question was about NIL. Yeah. In terms of getting their hands dirty for the portal, I don't think is necessary because they don't, there's just not that much that needs to happen in the portal for Penn state. Yeah. Um, so let me give you, you know, an but, example of what he might be talking about because it's talking about getting your hands a little bit dirty. Yeah. Uh, and this is something that uh, Nick Saban vehemently rejected recently, but there was the accusation that Alabama, when they went into the portal had, you know, almost batted a thousand of getting exactly what they wanted from a bunch of different places, including Louisville. And there were some accusations that they paid a player to come to Alabama. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that was, as I said, he outright rejected that idea. That's, I think the the, I, what you've been saying is happening behind the scenes by other schools. Is, is that something Penn state needs to do win above all else instead of the success with honor model, which I will point out like the, the question by Losi's mustache, Reference Joe Paterno, and I understand the traditionalism of that, but that's the, how James Franklin has conducted his business as well. That's how Bill O'Brien conducted his. Like it is, it it is a, a, a facsimile for traditional college football, but that's exactly how James Franklin has espoused he wants to do things and doesn't like the situation as it stands. Yeah, I, th- I mean, certainly, I think that they they James Franklin mourns the loss of that style of the game and the value that it provided in his life, right? He's, he's got this firsthand knowledge of what it meant to be a college football player and to have that experience quote unquote, right. Of riding seven hours on a bus to play a game and not being showered with all this stuff. He, he, he got that and saw this in his life and the impact that it had and the impact that it had on many people's lives. And then he transitioned that into coaching and being able to make that type of impact. Like there, there is something, not something, it, it's very obviously a noble pursuit in some respects. Yeah. But that does not mean that he has rejected changing with the times and how the game has changed. I mean, he still yep. wants to compete. Penn State still wants to compete. And so, yeah, there are things that you need to have in place. What what I would what I would say is it's some of this stuff is out of the hands uh, truly like i know that it doesn't seem this way but it is truly out of the hands of the coaches right like yeah. you you might be you might you might be making a play on a kid in the portal or even at the recruiting level at this point because that's what it's going to be is all of these conversations with recruits are going to to the recruit is going to say to the coach hey what can i get what, right what what can i make about this and the coach is going to be able to say, hey, we have this, 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 and this in place, right? In terms of collectives, uh, these are some of the people who have worked with or businesses who have worked with our players in the past, right? Like that's what they can say. They're not going to be able to say, now this is the rules, but also in practical terms, they're not going to be able to say, hey, person X or business X is going to be able to offer you this specific dollar amount. That's going to be up to whatever the collective says, whatever the business says, whatever the individual donor says, 
right? And so I, I just think that some of what, what Penn State needs to happen, what Penn State is going to find will happen is it's not about Penn State proper, like the football program having the appetite to do these things. It's whether or not the donors and the fan base have the appetite to do these right. things. Right. Truly, it, it is... It is, and that's uh, we need to start thinking about it like the like the government where you have the judicial branch, the executive branch and the legislative branch. You need to have the university setting everything in place for the athletic department and you need to have the donor base that is going to support these things because it is not one monolithic thing. It is a bunch of different factors coming together to make up the, the current picture. Is that a fair way to put that? Yeah, I, I mean, I I think so. I think that the way that Dan Kabbalah and Andy Frank, they, they went on the coaches show this spring and truly pitched it to fans. I mean, this was a direct communication to fans to say, hey, you have an actual influence. Like, this isn't a hypothetical anymore. Yeah. This and is your 20 bucks a month or 100 bucks or 200 or 500, whatever it is, whatever you're able to afford having those resources is one critical to survival, right? If you want to compete at the highest level that it, it is a necessity, yeah. but also it's an opportunity. It's a, it's a chance for Penn state as a community, as a broader fan base to show its power in numbers. Yeah. Um, and so I, I just, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I think that that certainly James Franklin has a plan. He is trying to execute it as best as he can. I think that it's a time of change for Penn State, right? New athletic director, new uh, university president, uh, the board of trustees chair is relatively new. And so all of these things getting on the same page and then bringing in the element of what a collective is going to do, what directives are going to do, um, it's, it's all kind of to be determined, but I certainly think that more than any, more than anything else that I see right now, it's okay. Penn state has set this up to put the ball in the donor's court. And now it is simply a matter of the donors deciding whether or not they want to play the game. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Check planning for what's next and how to save for it. That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. BWI Daily Edition. I'm your host, Thomas Frank Carr, and Nate Bauer, the voice you're hearing right now. We are taking your questions on the show. You can always submit them uh, during our uh, Wednesday night 
Thursday morning on the BWI message board on the BWI mailbag thread. Or if you are not a member of Blue White Illustrated, I do take some questions on Twitter at Thomas Frank Carr on Wednesday night. This one comes from one of our regulars, Poncho570. What's the lack of a true? Uh, what's up with the lack of the true big X wide receiver late year, lately? Is it Yurchis's offense? Is it the way the game is evolving, or they're just not kids worth taking at that size? So this is an interesting thing. I asked um, Taylor Stubblefield during National Signing Day about Penn State's class of 2022, which had quite a few players in it that were all 5'11", six foot, almost on the dot through all of that. Um, if there's a guy that is 6'4 and, you know, has everything, they're going to go after that guy. But by and large, this is what Taylor Stubblefield told me in that situation is, first off, there is no prototype wide receiver because it keeps changing, whether it's Randy Moss or DK Metcalf or right now he pointed to the, the guys that are the most successful at the NFL level that are the best, Devontae Adams, Justin Jefferson, Stephon Diggs, those guys are all 5'11", 6 feet. And to me, what I think is the versatility to play inside and outside, to be able to run routes in the slot and from the boundary is critical because that gets you away from the press and that gets you into a situation where you might get a favorable matchup against a third corner. So having the ability to play both positions and, I, you know, more spoiler alert for the film room, which you should definitely go check out. That's what a Johnny Shakir is. He's got inside-outside versatility. He's big enough to play on the outside. He's quick enough to play in the slot. That right there. Plus... I would say the the other half of it is that um, speed is the number one thing that that all teams are looking for because what the RPO does is it makes these massive windows in the secondary. What used to be this big between the linebacker and the safety because the linebacker is coming up in run defense, it is now this big. So if you get a receiver with enough speed and space, and I keep saying that, speed and space, speed and space, that's what the game is about now. If you can get that guy the ball and he has a step and he can beat the safety, it's over. You've got 70 yards and a touchdown. So guys that can do that from the slot or out wide, that is very, very valuable. And I think Keandre Lambert-Smith is another great example of a guy who can do that. And what I saw from him this spring is a little more of the versatility in that sense. And he's a little bit bigger, 6'1". But but the, the days of a guy, you park him on the sideline, he's the X receiver. Some of that still exists, but, you know, that's kind of over. That's pretty much over. It 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 is kind of curious to me, only because Penn State literally has a receiver that they call Megatron. <laughs> right? Oh, that's the other half, right? <laughs> so it 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 doesn't it doesn't not exist. Penn State has right. at least one. Um, it's just yeah. a matter of you know what what are the norms? I mean, I think that you covered that well. But yeah, there there's a big X. He's yeah. out there. Uh, yeah, and uh, Liam Clifford is 6'2", 200 pounds. Like he, the, the other day when I was w watching him run routes, I was like, he kind of looks like a tight end compared to the rest of them. Like He's got a thick body. And, uh, and Mitchell Tinsley, he's a big-bodied guy, 6'2", 205 pounds. So I guess there are other ways other than just recruiting to get these guys, and I think that it's always going to be a high turnover position because you get so many of them and, and you know, that's how probabilities and statistics, not that I understand them, but that's what I'm yep. told. That's how that works. So, you know, that you're right. That, that possession receiver, that body guy is valuable, but even then Malik mega runs somewhere in the low four fours. I imagine 
You know, I, I wrote about his first round potential earlier this week because he's a guy that has all of it. Like, can he run short routes and intermediate routes? That's the part I'm waiting to see. But as far as big speed, length, you know, he's got all of those skills. It's not like he's lacking in speed. He just is six four. Yeah, it, it it has the story on him has been, and I, I it has always been. Hey, let's see what this guy can do in two years. And well, hey, two years are up. Yep. Right. Like yep. that that chance that chance has now arrived for him. Uh, and you know, I think that everyone will start to see whether or not he can put it together this year. Right. I I don't know that it's a star turn right now necessarily, right. but. I think that the potential is is certainly there. They at least they appear to feel that way. Yeah, and, and that's I I completely agree with that assessment. So let's move on to another X's and O's question. Navy Blue asks: While holding up against most of our opponents on the ground, PJ Musfer got hurt against Iowa. Then the team allowed 357 yards and 353 yards against the uh, two teams that were dedicated to running the ball repeatedly: Illinois and Arkansas. Almost no threat to these teams that could throw the ball, yet they were unable to stop the run. Do you think the Penn State can survive without a one-tech on defense that can eat double teams if P.J. doesn't recover quickly and is 100%? Is Devon Ellis that guy? And is there a second guy? Um, it's a great question because I don't, I don't see Devon Ellis as that guy. But until P.J. Mustafer, Penn State still didn't have that guy in the previous years. So there's more than one way to do that than having just a one tech that, that eats up double teams. You need to have guys that beat the offensive line one way or another. And you can beat that with speed. You can beat that with hand usage. You can beat that with individual violence or with double teams. So one of the things about P.J. is like it wasn't like he was eating up all the double teams in the world. He was getting off blocks. He had 22 stops on the season. I'll bring that up again. That's behind the line of scrimmage. So Devon Ellis can be that guy, but I, I don't think that they have, other than maybe Fatorma Mulba, um, a guy that has the one-tech, squatty, gonna-eat-double-teams body type on the roster because Cole Brevard was the other guy, and he, he left the, the program. I, I hate to say this, but I'm going to. Uh, Penn State didn't lose either one of those games because of 357 or 353 rushing yards. Yeah. They, they didn't. Illinois scored 10 points in regulation. Arkansas scored 24. Uh, Penn State needs to score points. Done. I'm off the bully pulpit. Yeah. But I'm just, I'm just saying, like, it does not, that style of football. Yes, I understand as a fan, it is frustrating to see your team get run on like that. You want to have an answer for literally everything. Yep. I get it. Yep. But if you're Penn State and you are in that situation again, you would take it. You would take it. You would <laughs> yeah. be fine with it. You would yeah. say, oh, okay, Illinois is going to put 10 guys on the offensive line and we're yeah. going to just, they're going to run the ball all day, but they're going to score 10 points in the process because the defense is going to clamp down. And they did. When it got to the red zone. Yeah. Uh, and by the way, anytime they got to a third, a third and long, it was, was over. It, was it Peters? That was the quarterback. I don't even remember. There were, there were so many names in the backfield at quarterback, but it was the, as bad as Penn state's offense was this, the, the, the season after Clifford got injured, it was an impotent performance. Like there was nothing they could do 
through the through the air against Penn State. They turned the ball over, I think, at one point more than they had completions. So yeah, that's a that's a that's a very good point. But I understand the the concern is that you need to be able to beat teams that have you know a multi. You're not going to face a team that can run the ball and throw the ball equally well in every single game, but you are going to face teams that can run the ball well, and you're going to face teams that can throw the ball well. And if you want to yep. be a national championship team, if you want to be the best of the best, and that's what everyone wants that hope right now, you need to find answers that I guess are not Jonathan Sutherland and are uh, Jordan Davis, a three technique that can eat up double teams. And when you have to choose, this is the point about roster construction. This is the part of the NFL that I love. When it comes to you have parameters, you have to make choices. You can't just be the best at everything. And in college football, unless you're the best of the best, you have to make choices of how you're going to build your team. And this is the way they're going. Manny Diaz, aggressive defensive tackles. They had Zane Durant and Hakeem Beeman at defensive tackle at one point during the game. Durant was the one tech, or at least he played the one tech. They both lined up at three. But he executed a one tech job, and it worked. So... There's more than one way to do things. I'm not saying that's advisable. I'm just saying it seems to be that's the way they're going. That's what they want to do because that's what they have available. I I just think that, and and you can speak to the detail better than I can, but if I'm speaking generally, Penn State has built its program to be able to win 41 to 38 games. That, that is what they want to do. And if if the defense can give them a few extra possessions through turnover creation, all, all the better. But yeah. it, a, a ground impact, like that Wisconsin game, you can live with that. Yeah. <laughs> like it doesn't, it doesn't matter because you have to be able, and, and I, it, no question, like it was the Achilles heel. They just, they could not score points last season, but yeah. if they could have scored points at any rate, right? Like with any efficiency, they would have won 10 games last year. Yep. They just, but they didn't yep. because they couldn't. And so yep. that's, that is what needs to be corrected to me in a much more pressing manner than, you know, whatever frustrations exist over giving up 350 yards on the ground. Uh, this is the other thing I'll say about the Penn State defense before, because we got we got to get through a couple more questions here in some short order. But when you have a secondary that is as talented as this one, and Brisker to me was the and I I said this to him after pro day, which is he was the best defensive back that I've watched play at Penn State with his instincts, his ability to play at three levels of the defense, to play in the slot, to do everything, and his ability to get his hands on the football. That was the best I've seen. But as a collective, this secondary might be better. Now, there's some youth there that you've got to work through. But Z uh, Zaki Wheatley in the slot, I'm, I'm very excited to see what happens there. Because he has maintained his coverage skills from the boundary on the interior. They're going to put those guys in a lot of single coverage situations. There's going to be a lot of stress on that unit because Manny Diaz is a maniac. He's going to throw <laughs> the kitchen sink at, at teams because they don't have, I, I just, I don't know that they're going to have the pass rush to alleviate that. Um, but secondarily, they've got corners and safeties and versatility, and this might be the strength of the unit. And when you want to build a defense in modern college football to keep you in most games, 
That's the that's where you got to start. You got to have the athletes on the secondary that can hang with a Jackson Smith and Jigba. That can that can put the clamps on some of these best receivers on a Fleming or whoever is the next ridiculously fast football player that Ohio State or Michigan is throwing out there. That can run Blake Corum down in the open field if he breaks contain. That's what you need in the secondary is guys that can clean up and prevent things from happening. And I think Penn State has a diverse skill set of those that they will be good this year. Will they be the high highs that they had before? Maybe not, but I think that that unit can continue to keep them in games. John H. asks, um, from what the ACC recently expressed and suggestions from the NCAA, uh, is there a greater sense that this year the probable Big Ten realignment of its current divisions, could this possibly entail adding two more programs to the conference. So uh, we need to back up and discuss what the ACC commissioner, I believe it said, was the, uh, recently about not breaking away from the NCAA, and then we can get to the Big Ten realignment, which is something else that's been bandied about. Do you have any – can you fill in the context there? Um, I, I can't specific to the ACC. I can with the Big 12, but, I mean, I think that the general idea is – the elimination of divisions, right? Okay. Uh, so the elimination of divisions was something that was talked about with the Big 12 as trying to pit the two best teams at the end of the season. Um, and we, I mean, we've talked about this before, but the the Big 10, I don't know that, um, you know, it's kind of an immediate thing, but I think by 2023, yeah, you could see, uh, divisions go away. I don't know that there's a necessity of adding two more teams. Like everything is so fluid right now. And I'm not, there were years ago where it was like, Oh, well I've heard something about Missouri and I've heard something about whatever, right. In terms of joining the big 10 as yeah. potential fits for the big 10. There, there's none of that right now. I, I, I have not nothing floating in the wind in terms of potential additions to the conference, but potential elimination of divisions yeah that i think that there is some movement to that and i think that it makes sense i think that mm-hmm. that what james franklin has been talking about in terms of the strength of the divisions being out of whack and and out of balance i think there's absolutely merit to that but i think that the solution to that is not by repositioning the divisions right, right. it's not it's not just about swapping you know whatever Northwestern, like right. that's not, that's not the, the answer or the solution to that issue. The answer or the solution is, Hey, you just have 14 teams. There are a couple of protected teams every year. And then after that, it's luck of the draw, you know, yeah. it's random. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It, it, so to James Franklin's point, you're playing nine conference games. You've got to be then careful about what your out of conference games are. And you've got to be the you have to have a championship game. So the the idea of the Big Ten has such a high threshold for getting to the college football playoff, even in the conversation that it becomes uh, it's redactive to their ability to get the best teams from one of the most loaded conferences divisions in college football to get the best teams to to the conversation about the college football playoff, whether or not they be there or not. And, you know, listening to James Franklin talk about like he's fine with the four in the college football playoff, because for the most part, there haven't been 12 teams like there haven't been eight teams. It's been four and then the rest of the field. So I think that was very fair of him to point out when he was on the Rich Eisen show talking about that of, 
you know, he could easily say, you know what, give everyone a chance. Maybe Penn State a couple years, the, the breaks through. But, you know, I thought that was very even-handed to be like, yeah, well, the, the, the kind of the proofs of the pudding of there's four to five good teams, but it's about the fairness of the entire picture and the advantages that have been baked in over time. Yeah, they're just there's just there's no uniformity between the conferences, yeah. and that is ultimately um, how can the people on the committee, right, the college football playoff selection committee, how can they be expected to fairly? Ju- We're not talking about thirty one games in college basketball, yeah. right? Like you're ta- you're talking about this limited set of games that you're trying to choose from, and yeah. One program having eight conference games against a marginal conference opponent list versus another having nine in conference against what would be considered a much stronger conference. That's a much more difficult decision to make. Yeah. Um, but but I do think I do think that it should be pointed out. Um the Big Ten is not changing. They're not going away from nine games. Like that yeah. that war, that battle is over. Yeah. And so if the, it, the TV it, model has been too good. <laughs> Correct. You, you weren't. You weren't. Sorry. There is no athletic director in the Big Ten who is going to say, "Well, if it improves our chances of making the college football playoff, it's worth shedding four million dollars a year on the TV contract for each school." There, no one is saying that. No <laughs> yep. one thinks that. The only win for James Franklin or for that line of thinking, that train of thought is to enforce or get a system where everyone has to play nine games, right? Like, and I, and until that, until that umbrella model happens of the college football playoff, having right, it's group of five and it's 10 and breaking off from the NCAA until all of that happens. I'm just not sure how that can possibly be enforced. We've got about eight minutes left on the show. Do you want to answer this question that we have on the screen, Nate? I mean, Gorky, it feels, it feels personal. uh, I, yeah, golf counts. Come on now. (laughs) So for for coordination for our podcast listeners, Gorky, who I think is trying to cause problems here, who is the best athlete employed by BWI disclaimer, golf does not count. Now golf is an actual sport. Um, So this is, this is the question of, and Nate, I'm not, I'm asking the question. I'm not questioning golf. It's, is it's golf you. played by athletes? Yeah, quick, quick trick, quick, quick twitch counts. Yeah. That has to be something, right? Yeah. And so, yeah, you can. You, uh, if you look at the PGA Tour now, most of those guys could do something else. Yep. Yep. M- yeah. Most might be generous. Some of those guys could do something else. I'm just saying, golf, golf has to count. But otherwise, I would make the assumption that you are. T. Frank, the best athlete so uh, in, in the BWI ecosystem. Th- this has been on... So there's, there's, two, there's two tributaries to this particular stream of thought. The first one was James Franklin bringing up the punt competition from a couple years ago um, and, and asking if the media want to do a full-on like Oklahoma drill and, and suit up during halftime of the blue-white game going forward. And... I could see most people put their head down. Um, secondly, this has been a question on the BWI message board several times. And Nate, I, 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 I'm. This is why I wanted to know. Like, 
I, am I getting a little too heated about this? Is this is this go is Gorky goading me into saying something I'm going to regret? I mean, I I don't know what the parameters are here because if it's like, can you play tennis? I, no. Okay. No. Well, I, I mean, I'm look. <laughs> I, I might be carrying a few more pounds than I should. Okay, I like acknowledged, but the the hand eye is there. It's yeah. it's in it's in pretty good shape. And so, like games of uh, outside of the weight room, I, I feel fairly comfortable with. I you yeah, know, I can catch things. I can throw things. We've we've there's but been it's many- still you. <laughs> well, so this is the thing is, I you know I. I try to be humble. I, I try to be, uh, you know, but I'm an evaluator of talent. You know, I evaluate physical capabilities. And uh, zero people, last time this was brought up on the BWI message board, zero people threw my name out there. Oh, so, wow. So it's, I was, it's not Dave. It's not Ryan. Yeah. Right. The, I mean, Greg, like, I don't know what Greg does. Greg's a big so. dude. So the only, he's so he's, he's a big dude. He is about 6'2". Yeah. And he looks like he used to be a very good athlete. And some like that stuff, that's hard to get out of your system. But there is nobody at BWI that puts in the work or the sacrifice yeah. to be at my level. Sure. So 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 there we go. I I think that's the end of that conversation before I get a little too heated about that because this is so last thing. As 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 one, just I will throw this out there as my resume. Last year, before and, and this offseason, I've been dealing with a couple injuries. I'm working my way back. I'm feeling better about that. But last year, when I was uh, being trained by my professional strength coach wife, we did a test. We did we did the testing, and my lifting numbers are on par with a Division One athlete. There you go. So. You know, my squat, bench, deadlift, I cannot do a clean to save my life because it would kill me. I would drop the bar on my head or on my knees or I would, you know, amputate some part of my body. But as far as my overall testing numbers, that is my, that's what I'm going to throw out there. And I'll try not to get too heated because I'm also crazier than everybody else, which I think is in a very integral part of being a good athlete, is like I, I'm just, I'm just nuts. I'm a little bit crazy. I enjoy the pain. So we're 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 gonna leave it there. What's Patrick Kraft's first big decision move uh, at Penn State, according to PSU eighty seven on Twitter? What what do you think it should be, uh, Nate? Hmm. I gotta uh, calm down. Please say something. I gotta. Yeah. Work no. I mean, I think up. I think it's Kale Sanderson. I think I think uh, settling that situation, whatever it is, and you know how private Kale is. I, I don't I don't know that. Um, there's a ton of conversation around it, but locking him in to Penn state for a multi-year deal, whatever it is. Um, certainly I think that would be of, of fairly paramount importance. And then I think it's, I think it's construction projects. Honestly, I think football has continues to have needs, continues to have things that need to be addressed and can be addressed in fairly short order. Yeah. Yeah. And so, and, 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 and seems to have, seems to have the backing of the board to to meet those those aims and yeah. those goals. So I mean I just, I just think that you want to like your breadwinner this it, we understand this, right? There's no mystery about it. Yeah. Uh 
this is your breadwinner. You want it to be a sterling example. You want it to, when you look at the, the complex of what football is, what Penn State football is, that's personnel within it, right? The employees that make it up, the players, the student athletes, and the facilities, all of the entire operation, you want it to, to, to match. Yeah. You want it to look like the others. So here's, here's the thing too, is that if it weren't, if we were not in the era of NIL and, uh, you know, the explosion of facilities, take all of that away. Penn state still needs infrastructure upgrade. Like their yep. facilities are not on par with, I would say, acceptable standards. Like, they, they are they are acceptable standards. They are what they should be as far as they're functional. But are they producing the environment for success? Absolutely, I would say no. And that needs to be addressed. That needed to be addressed five years ago. So this is a long overdue upgrade to something that should be a part of your business model. If you're, yep. if you're operating, a, you know, a, a, a sports business, your facilities are... are you know, they are the body in which you work. So make sure you're taking care of those and that those are up to a quality standard that you feel proud of and not just yep. that are, you know, the Taj Mahal of college football. It doesn't need to be that. It just needs to be something, you know, I, I just I think they they that is something that is well within reasonable terms that they needed an upgrade in facilities on a large scale. I, I think one of the the conversations that is super interesting to me, uh, and I and I talked about this a few weeks ago, but people certainly you want to be judicious, right? Like you don't you don't want to be so extravagant and bring in all these high ticket items that uh, don't necessarily add value to the experience. But the the conversation always goes back to the sliding board and the mini golf course at Clemson, right? Like those facilities and those specific features yeah. of, yeah. right? And like, how crazy is this? How superfluous to have added these to your football facility? A mini golf course is not that expensive to put in, right? Like <laughs> a, a sliding board is not that expensive to put in. Yeah. And it's laughed at. Maybe there is no functional utility to it. Yeah. Maybe, maybe the players don't even use it, but guess what? Here we are all these years later and everyone still talks about it. Yep. Everyone yep. still talks about it. And I so think there's a bowling is, alley somewhere too. So that was a part of the, there's a bowling it's, alley. It's, it's the return on investment in terms of word of mouth and reputation is worth it times a million. Yep. Right. It just is. Yep. And so those things for Penn state, if Penn state can say, Hey, all of our facilities are in one spot. You can you can walk in the same building and get breakfast, lunch, dinner, workout, get your medical uh, situation taken care of, and practice all within this one space. That is a major selling point. Yeah, it just is. And so I think I think that those are the things that they're trying to 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 have happen at Penn State. It's just a matter of hey, committing to it making sure that this is the direction that you want to go and then executing it. And I think that those are things that Pat Kraft can, uh, can put into motion in pretty short order. So this will be our last question of the show. Uh, and I apologize to anybody we didn't get to, whether it was something that, you know, was recruiting related that we'll talk with Ryan about at some later point or one we're just out of time for. But Christian Molnar asks enough questions about offensive line and the five-star freshman. 
What under the radar players do you think have the ability to make a real difference in 2022? And Nate, here's my first response. There are no under the radar players on this particular show. We have discussed every single name and guys that aren't even on the roster yet. So that's, that's where my mind starts is like, who's under the radar. I could bring up Kobe King, but we've talked about him at length on this show. Do you have anyone that comes to mind as another under the radar guy? Hmm. I, I, I'm always going to go back to this just because I think that the elements were there. Um, but Jaden Dotton, nobody talks about Jaden Dotton. And I think that there is potential that there, there is an avenue to someone. I don't know who it's going to be, but someone kind of stepping into that like sixth receiver role. I already laid out the five, but I, I do think that there's an opportunity there for someone and certainly he would be one who I would I would call under the radar who has a chance. Yeah. Um, so that, that would kind of be my pick. I mean, the other one is and I don't know if this counts as under the radar now. I think it would have counted in December. But Catron Allen, like Catron yeah. Allen, not the headliner, but very much will have an opportunity, I think, uh, to make an impact this season. I love watching him play. For the simple, the simple reason is, um, uh, I always go into too much detail, but here, here's a quick summation. There are front side and backside of every run, especially on inside zone. What happens is most running backs run to the backside of the play because the defense is goading you into doing that because they've got two guys that are the trap on the backside. You don't block the end man in the line of scrimmage in an inside zone on the backside. That's the whole point of, of you're, you're trying to steal a gap on the defense. And every single running back takes the cheese, and they go to the backside. Maybe they'll get four or five yards. Maybe they'll make that guy miss, and they'll get 17. But Katron Allen actually hits the front side on run plays. He makes those blocks on the front side worth something. And that is refreshing to watch. So, yeah, I, I think that's a, a very good point. Um, friend of the show, Jordan Vandenberg, is going to have to play a role. Uh, the the one tech, we already talked about that. I think he's got the strength to play there. Uh, he's up to almost 300 pounds. He's got uh, the quickness that I think that this defense asks for out of its defensive tackles. So he can be a huge part of the rotation at that position. And he's going to need to be because they need to make sure that that defense is fresh if they're going to play with speed over power. Yeah, I think I think the last the last component to to answering this question is that, um, you know, under the radar performances happen when unexpected things go wrong. That's a fair right? point. And so you you can't know, right? Yeah. I, I, you don't know who's going to get hurt. Knock on wood. Obviously, nobody gets hurt. You never want anybody to get hurt, but yeah. it always happens. It, it always comes from somewhere, and so. The person who steps up and steps into a, a role when the opportunity opens tends to be that guy. Yeah. Uh, it's just a matter of, you know, who, who is that, right? Yep. Who, who is that this year? And, uh, you know, we don't know right now, but certainly we'll find out. Also, you took away like 50% of the under the radar players because no one pays attention to the offensive line. So, you know, there's a lot of under the radar performances, even from the starters on the offensive line. I'll just throw this one out there because you just mentioned unexpected things happen. Injuries can happen. I would put Sal Wormley in, in that conversation as a guy who's going to work himself back. I firmly believe he's going to be uh, healthy enough to compete. So, 
that could go any way. And, and I think that there's an outside chance of a guy that you mentioned was supposed to be the starter last year, won the yep. job, got injured. Now this is his return to that situation. So maybe he's not 100, 100% in training camp when the injury occurred. But like I've talked about with uh, PJ Mustafer, 12 months is when I start to see players be normal, to look and feel normal after a knee injury. And he'll be there in training camp. So during the season, he should be full go unless there are any setbacks. So that'd be the other guy I'd throw out. Am I? (laughs) This could just be me. And I'm acknowledging that it is because uh, PFF just had him at number 66, I think, on their NFL big board. But for whatever reason, Joey Porter Jr. seems to fly under the radar to me. Like, and I think there is potential there, potential, not guaranteeing anything, but I think he could be a superstar this year. Like, I think he could have a massive, massive year uh, for Penn State. A a lot of the stuff that people kind of dogged him on last year, I I thought was ticky tack, right? Like if a a few things cleaned up here and there uh, and, and he truly does have the potential to be a very, very strong piece of the puzzle for Penn State this season. That and that's the most that's the most valuable position. You know, if you want to talk about PFF, that's the most valuable position on the defense because if you can shut those receivers down on the boundary, you have taken away a huge chunk of the offense, especially if you're an offense that doesn't have three receivers. Because now you're down to your number two option. And that's, again, going back to our conversation about the receivers. You want to get them away from Joey Porter Jr. So they can go line up in the slot and they can go up against whomever that might be. Because Joey Porter Jr. is playing on the boundary and he's playing so well, you want to get away from him. And yeah, that's exactly right. And that's why that's so valuable and why I think that they can be uh, a key part of Penn State keeping the defense afloat through this transition. So that'll do it today for the BWI Daily Edition. Speaking of transitions, nailed that one. I'm your host, Thomas Frank Carr. Pointing out my successes doesn't make it any better, though, Nate. So we'll be back tomorrow. See you, Nate. (laughs) Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.